0: Well, this is it, detox number seven, uh, the last one. Since the end of April, we've been following our Psalm 23, uh, that most well-known, most often quoted, words most frequently turned to in times of stress and or strain. A psalm that offers us God's response to the things that press our button. God's word that offers us his insight on those things that wind us up, that stir us up, that squeeze our lives in a way that oppresses us. Seven verses in which we find God's antidote to the things that afflict us, God's cleansing to the poisons that pollute us, and God's truth for the words that trouble us. It's a detox for the soul, and it costs you a lot less money than most of the spas around our country. Words 2,500 years old at least, yet as relevant to your life and mine, to our jobs, our families, our culture, as they've ever been. So old, yet seemingly so bang up to date. Words of an era now long dead, yet so very much alive. The secret of their sustaining power is that they began in heaven, Isaiah reminds us that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God, what God says, words that start in heaven, those words will always remain. And here are words that have stood well, because they have sprung from that which is eternal. And we do well to let these words settle on our lives, to shape us and to sort us and to sift us and to soothe us in this toxic, polluting world. I hope the journey that we've been on has uh, encouraged you and strengthened you. Perhaps it's reminded you of many things you learned a long while ago, and maybe we've chucked in a few new thoughts along the way as well. And so to this final sentence that addresses the toxin of fear, particularly fear of the future. Fear as we... Heard when we looked at worry at the beginning of uh, this series is, a, is such a crippler, it robs us of so much. The BBC website alone offers over 5,000 articles about fear fear of death, of war, of job loss, certain animals becoming extinct, our health, our homes, our families. We live with fear everywhere we look, and undergirding so much of our fear is the fear of tomorrow. What's next? What's around my next corner? What's coming my way? What's coming our way? What will we face next? The Guardian uh, commented in a recent article, we have done away with God in the secular West, but we still want horoscopes dished up with our daily news. Similarly, science fact has long since surpassed science fiction yet physics sorry yet psychics and fortune tellers continue to make a living just as sales of Nostradamus's uh, cryptic scribblings remain buoyant we're anxious about what tomorrow will bring what will life be for me next year next decade what will life be for me when i retire when the kids have left home when i've finished uh, this particular project this particular thing Futurologists love to wow us or frighten us about how technology will control our future. The latest technology timeline released by BT suggests that uh, there'll be hundreds of different inventions in the next few decades that will affect our lives. Why don't they just concentrate on keeping our phone bills down? I'll never know. But still, 2012 apparently, personal black boxes will record everything you do every day. Somebody tell them God's been doing that since the beginning of time. 2015, images can be beamed directly into your eyeballs. Sounds delightful. 2017, the first hotel in orbit. Being spaced out, I guess, takes on a new meaning. 2020, artificial intelligence will be elected to Parliament. I thought we'd done that already. (laughs) Yet 2,500 years ago, David wrote words that we find ourselves coming back to over and over again again. For all our cleverness, for all our sophistication, for all the things we can do, that we thought would bring our lives to a new stability, a new utopia. We would enter this new futuristic world in which all would be sheer bliss. We find ourselves looking backwards, not forwards, to understand where we are. Words here so deep, so much more meaningful than the latest iPhone or media player. Words that as we face our own mortality, we find touching our hearts. And as everything else keeps changing, we go back to some of these words that simply do not change. What does my future hold? What does your future hold? What does the future hold for me? Well, David describes it. He says it's like this, surely goodness and love will follow me, All the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let these words, these ancient words, provide the foundation for our future rather than the latest fact. For in these words we can exchange fear of the future with faith for the future. We can exchange our fear for faith as these words from heaven... These words that will forever stand, settle on our lives. Many of you have started, or perhaps some of you, have started reading the the New Living Translation that puts it slightly differently. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you maybe read the message. Uh, Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Surely goodness and love will follow me. In the face of terrorism, surely goodness and love will follow me. In the face of death, my death, somebody else's death, in the face of bereavement, surely goodness and love will follow me there. In the face of failing health and the loss of a job that gave me such meaning... ...when relationships break down, surely goodness and love will follow me there. Yes, I've been through some really dark times, they will define my life. No, surely goodness and love, the markers of my life, the defining points. That's the promise of these words. Statistics tell us that around one in eight people... Sexually abused abuse generally is a lot higher, and sometimes books are written uh, about people in their in their walk and so on. And the term survivor is used, so you might get a title living as a survivor. Uh, Maybe some people find that helpful. It makes me want to scream. It makes me want to scream that somebody has to live the rest of their lives with something horrific that happened in the past, marking them, defining them, somehow still controlling their present and their future. That's not what the Bible ever teaches us, that the past needs to define our present or our future. Yes, we go through some very, very dark valleys. And sometimes those dark valleys are very long and utterly, extremely long painful, but we're called to a new life that is no longer marked by that horror and that darkness, but defined by goodness and love. That's what God says about your life and mine, whatever your past. Your future can be defined not by your past, but by a God whose markers, whose definition, whose banner over us is love and goodness. If only we would open our eyes to see it. If only our spirits could wake up to embrace it. If only we might walk in its truth. And yet so often we're defined by things that hang over us. Notice the first word here. It's a great word. Surely. Surely. Not surely. Perhaps some people in their youth were hoping that surely and goodness and love will follow them all the days of their life. Sorry to disappoint. David didn't say maybe, he didn't say possibly, he didn't say, I've got this theory, you know, chaps. Or if you live in the right street, or are born in the right family, or go to the right school. David could have been so vague, well, on the balance of probabilities, hopefully if it all goes well, then maybe goodness and love might show up for the odd moment, fingers crossed. But some of us live like that's true. But the gospel some of us have come to believe in deep down, we think, keep our fingers crossed with a fair wind. If no one rocks the boat, then hopefully, God willing. What a ridiculous phrase, God willing. I used to preach around these churches in Wales, you know, uh, three sheep and a church secretary. And uh, and the church secretary would, you know, give the notices. It was always after the second hymn. You could set your watch by the time the church secretary got up to give the notices. And they'd give the notices, and then they'd say, We'll meet again for worship, 10.30, 6.30, next Sunday, God willing. <laughs> Two things about that. It sounded like being in church next Sunday would be the most boring thing that ever could happen to anybody on earth. And then I found myself thinking, if we're not sure God will be willing next Sunday, why on earth have we showed up this Sunday? God willing. And we live like it, fingers crossed, fair wind, God willing, it should turn out all right of sorts, touch wood. (gasps) David says, no. No, surely, certainly, absolutely, no room for doubt or question or manoeuvring. And was it because his life was easy? If you think he said surely because his life was easy, go back home and read the story again. If you think it was because humanly he was safe and secure and the future was all mapped out, go and read the story again. If you think it's because uh, he would not have to face the death of a friend the death in his own family, if he would not have to face some of the horrors we face, the breakdown in relationships, people hating you and chasing you, having enemies all around you, public humiliation over sins he committed, it's all there. All that was part of his story. And yet he said, surely, this is absolutely certain. This is what I know above all else. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Because his faith, his foundation, his life was rooted in those things and not in some of the things that he had been part of. His faith was rooted in God and God is sure. Our moods change, don't they? Did you wake up grumpy this morning or did you leave him in bed? (laughs) God doesn't change. He's not a moody God like sometimes we are our minds change. Have you ever changed your mind? Ladies, come on, be honest. Ever changed your mind? God's mind never changes. If we are faithless, he is still faithful. So sure, So certain, so dependable, that even in the dark valleys I can say God is with me because he's promised, he always shows up. I can be totally confident about it. Even when I find myself in a place where my enemies are all around, as we heard last week, I can be absolutely certain that God is there. I can still have a feast. Because even there my cup overflows. None of these things, David is saying, can come between me and and God he's that sure it's that dependable just as paul would write several hundred years later when he would say i'm absolutely convinced that nothing nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus and so like paul and david we can be sure sure not because it rests on my frailty or on my vulnerability or on my volatility sure because it rests on god on his consistency on his unchanging dependability everlasting god the years go by but you're unchanging we sang in this fragile world you the only firm foundation and because it's based on god because it's all about god david says there are three things There are three things that I can be utterly sure about as I face my future, and so can we. I can be confident of the future because God's goodness is watching over me. Surely, goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Because God is good, I can expect good things. What are you expecting? As you look into your future, what what do you expect? What dare you expect, maybe you feel? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all things are good. Far, far, far from it. But it is to say that if I'm living for God, then I can expect him to be at work for good in each and every single situation where I find myself. That God will bring good out of it somehow, some way. There is no difficulty, dilemma, defeat or disaster in the life of a Christian that ultimately God cannot work out a good purpose. Isn't that true? We don't always believe it, but it is true. That's what David's saying here. Goodness will follow you. Follow you not some of the days, but all of the days. Will follow you not in some of the situations, but in every situation. Goodness will follow you, or as uh, Eugene Peterson uh, captured, will chase after you. God chasing after you with with his goodness in every situation. Uh, God sticks by all who love him, David uh, wrote in another psalm. God who is good, who cannot help but do good, who cannot help but change things for the good, is the one who sticks with us. Or as the NIV puts it, the Lord watches over all who love him. Every detail. And what does this goodness do? It chases, it follows me. Everywhere I go, I'm pursued by God and his goodness. We're more used to thinking of God up in heaven somewhere, rather static. But David, for David, God is active, always on the move, moving with us wherever we go, pursuing us, chasing us, tracking us down, winning us over. You ever sense someone following you? You turn around and there's nobody there. We need to teach our spirits to sense that God is following us wherever we go. We need to open our eyes to see the signs and traces of his presence, to sense him there just hovering on our shoulders. Maybe you have, maybe through the kindness of a stranger, unexpectedly one day, oh, God's goodness was following me that day through the majesty of a sunset, through the question of a child, through the commitment of a spouse, through a word well-spoken or a well-timed touch, you became aware in that moment of something more than that moment. And you sensed the goodness of God following you. If you have, then lay down your doubts and your fears. Know that he's always following, never forcing and never leaving us patiently, persistent, faithfully present, abounding in goodness, following, following in every situation. I can be confident in the future because God's goodness is watching over me, but also because God's grace is working in me. Your love, or as many of the translations that we're more familiar with, say mercy, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God's mercy is a promise to us day by day. What's God's mercy? What's God's grace? All that stuff we don't deserve that we thought about at the beginning of our service. I need from God every day what I don't deserve, don't you? You see, as I go into the future, even in these next few minutes, I will need God's forgiveness on my life. I will need his mercy. And as I go into the future, I will need his cleansing every day. And as I go into the future, I will need his healing when I am hurt. I will need his strength when I am weak. I, I will need his hope when I am in despair. And it's all there in this word mercy. A little word that rolls off the tongue that we know so well, yet it it, it captures every good thing that God lavishes on me that I will so need through every moment of every day of my life. And that mercy is chasing after me wherever I go. You know when you go out the house and you've forgotten something and somebody runs after you with, hey, you've forgotten this. God is chasing me everywhere just in case one day I should forget. He's there with his mercy. You know when the prodigal son left home and he ended up in a pigsty, was it a long journey back to God? It was a long journey back to his father, but actually when he turned, when he came to his senses and he cried out to heaven, where was God? Right there. Because God's goodness and God's mercy had never left him, followed him wherever it goes. If only he would wake up and realise that it was there. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a pickle and, and you think, where is God wake up your spirit to see he's followed you there with his goodness and his mercy. Sometimes we think God's out there trying to trip us up, don't we? Something happens and we go, God, why? Why have you done this to me? Who are we focused on? It's not God, it's me. What have I done to deserve this? Almost as if God's out there trying to trip us up. I'll show them, I'll get them. One, one little move, whap, bang, wallop. And we smile because we know it's not true. But we behave like it is sometimes. We think God's up there ready to condemn, to judge God in his anger. Is that what follows us all the days of our lives? Is God's judgment pursuing you every day? Is God's condemnation on your back every moment? Is that what it says? No, God's goodness and his mercy pursuing us every day. That's what that Psalm 103 was all about. In each and every situation, God's goodness and mercy right there for us. It's what God is like. I can face the future with my head held high. If I fail, he'll lift me up. If I make a mistake, make a mess, get it all wrong, heaven's got it all covered. It's other people that will struggle with that, but heaven's got it all covered. If I'm hurt, wounded, bruised, knocked down, hey, heaven's got it all covered. Every day, this day, mercy and grace are mine. It's all covered. Isn't that cool? All covered. Everything. Sorted, ready. Anything that needs paying for, Jesus did that on the cross. Will I have to pay? No, that's been paid for. All covered. As I alluded to earlier, people have moods. You might find that everyone has moods except you. Uh, some days are better and brighter than others. Maybe you had a teacher in school and before each lesson, you wondered what mood they would be in. Maybe you're going to work tomorrow morning and you wonder what mood your boss will be in. He or she's probably thinking what mood you will be in as well. Maybe you go home at night and you wonder what mood your husband, wife, father, mother, or whoever might be in. How many husbands with something delicate to say to their wives will assess the mood before proceeding? Wives, look and see who's laughing. But God's unchanging mood is mercy and grace. Whew. God's, do I wake up tomorrow morning, hey, is God angry with me? Is God going absolutely lally in heaven? No. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. The shepherd image runs uh, right through uh, this psalm, and goodness and mercy have been described as uh, the celestial escort of God's flock, like two sheepdogs that go behind the the, the sheep, hemming them in on either side. You've seen the sheepdogs with their whistle and, and no, oh, the sheepdogs don't have a whistle. The owners have the whistle. I knew there was something wrong when I tried it. Yeah, the, the grown-ups have the whistle and then the sheepdogs do all their, their stuff. And if you go to Suffolk show, they'll show you how to do it in the rain and all that jazz. Your life hemmed in on either side by two of God's sheepdogs. Goodness and mercy. Walk into the future with confidence because goodness and and mercy. Hem you in. Keep you safe. Guide your path. And then in the final phrase, this life with its stresses and strains, this life that poisons the heart and pollutes the soul, is given its true perspective. I can be confident of the future. Why? Because God's heaven is waiting for me. God's heaven. Surely goodness and mercy will follow all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's home to you? Home is where I'm loved and accepted. Home is where my needs are met. It's where I can lay my burdens down, a place where I can run to when I'm discouraged or under pressure or disappointed or hurt or just worn out. It's where I can be refreshed uh, in my body and in my spirit. It's where I can wear my shorts and not worry about what others might be uh, thinking. It's where I can just do the things I, I want to do. I don't have to worry about how I look or so much about how I, what I say. Home is where the food is that I like. It's where the people and relationships that matter most are known. It's the reference point from which every other place in life is measured. Home. And if you've ever been away from home, the first night back in your bed. If you've ever been abroad, the first familiar meal. Give me meat and two square veg, whatever square means. You spent three hours getting up the A-12, that bath, home, home. I'm aware that home is nothing like that for everybody. Sometimes for people, home is where we can't be ourselves. Home becomes demanding and not refreshing. The place where we live, but actually, when we're there, we're far from home. Our true home, though, will be everything for which we long. Samuel Morrison was an old missionary who'd served in Africa for 25 years, And as it happened, he travelled home after his 25 years of missionary service on the same ocean liner that Teddy Roosevelt was travelling back from a hunting expedition. And when the great ship entered New York Harbour, the harbour was jammed almost, it seemed, with the whole of New York City coming out to welcome uh, the ship home. Bands were playing, banners were being waved, uh, choirs were singing, loads of razzmatazz, you know, the, uh, the thing. And Mr. Roosevelt stepped down the gangplank. There was thunderous applause and the crowd kept pressing in. If it wasn't for the ropes and the police, he would have been crushed in the mob. At the same time, Samuel Morrison quietly walked off the boat. No one was there to greet him. He slipped through the crowd unnoticed. Because of the people to see the president, he couldn't even find a cab. Inside, he found his heart beginning to complain. Lord, the president's been in Africa for three weeks killing animals. And look what he gets. The whole world turns out to welcome him home. I've given 25 years serving you in that place. And no one has greeted me. No one even knows I'm here. The quietness of his heart, a gentle, loving voice whispered, My dear child, you're not home yet. And sometimes we just need to remember That we're not home yet. When all the stuff of earth robs us of life and hope, we're not home yet. Home, the place where there will be no hard feelings, no hurt feelings. No misunderstandings, no critical spirits, no divorce, no death, no piles of rubbish or prisons of debris, no business trips or military call-ups, no sickness or weakness, no dangers or hardships, no fires or famines or floods, no wars or refugee camps or ethnic cleansing, no racial or political or religious prejudice, no religions nor poles nor denominations that abuse, no class system or economic sanctions or human slavery. Home. No more sin or guilt or abuse or shame or disappointment or regrets or hurt. No more suffering. Physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, socially, spiritually. How are you suffering? No more suffering. No more pain, no more hospitals or death or funerals or grief. No more Zimmer frames no more commodes or wheelchairs or bed hoists, no more suicide bombers or fiery infernos, broken homes, no more broken hearts, broken lives, no more broken dreams, no more mental illness, no more physical handicap, no more muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, no more blindness, deafness, disease or sickness, no more heart disease, no more Parkinson's, diabetes, arthritis, cataracts, paralysis, no more cancer, strokes or AIDS, no more. No more guns in schools, bombs in cars, terrorist missiles or airstrikes. All no more. We do well to remember sometimes we're not home yet. Hallelujah. We're not home yet. Thank heaven that this world is not centre stage. I plead with you not to make this world centre stage. Not to make this world the real thing. Thank heaven that this is not the end of the journey, it's not the place of our arrival. Thank heaven that with goodness and mercy at our side, we're just passing through. And think about it, as we pass through, everything in this life points to the next. Every time we hit a dark valley, every time our world is plunged into turmoil or chaos, every time we face something that causes us to cry, this life really sucks. This is no way, there is no way this is how it was meant to be. Every time that cry rises in our hearts, we remember that the day of no more is coming. We remember that there will be a day of no more. Not home yet. And then in those moments when we glimpse that there is so much more, those moments in life when we suddenly become aware there is so much more happening than what is actually happening. Maybe in your baptism. Maybe in a special prayer time that you had. Maybe it was a conversation with a loved one. A simple walk along a beach, gazing at a night-filled sky. Or just doing something and you knew God was thrilled at what you were doing. And suddenly you realised that that moment was about so much more than just that moment. You've glimpsed the eternal. A glimpse of what is coming. So when the rubbish is happening, we're reminded that there will be a day of no more. And when the, when the, 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 the transcendent touches our temporal imminence, when, when something beyond us reaches into our moment, then also we're reminded of all that is to come. Randy Alcorn said, in the truest sense, Christian pilgrims have the best of both worlds. We have joy whenever this world reminds us of the next, and we have comfort whenever it does not. This life, nothing more than the preface before the true story begins. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And so may these truths soak and cleanse and restore and renew. May these words be a detox, cleansing to our souls. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. Remember that capital L right at the beginning? The Almighty, totally in control above all others. The one who was never created. The uncreated God is my shepherd. And then it ends, Lord, capital L, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table, a feast, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me, race after me, hem me in on every side, all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. If that's not your experience, I invite you today to put your trust in the Lord. Jesus came and said, quite simply, trust in me and trust also in God. I am the way, the truth and the life. To trust the Good Shepherd with all of our lives, with all of our days, with all of our past, our present, and our future. heavenly love abiding no